We are going to be in Leviticus chapter 25 this evening. Um, those of you that are visiting with us or you haven't been here um, much over the last couple of months, back in January, we started doing um, each week when we would gather, uh, we've been walking through the weekly Torah portion. And I just want to like just briefly, and we're going to talk some about this um, next week as we, as we spend some time celebrating um, the celebration of Pentecost. We're going to talk a little bit about the impact of Torah on our lives. But I just want to say briefly what a blessing it has been uh, just for me personally as, as we've um, taken this intentional time to be able to look back into those first five books and spend time there uh, every week. Um, it, it really takes me back as I go in and dig in, uh, especially these weeks that I've had the opportunity um, uh, to share with you guys and really digging in and studying the scriptures. You know, it takes me back to that time um, when I was in Bible college and I had, those, I had those different Bible classes, the survey classes of different books and things like that. And, and uh, I feel like I spent so many years in, in church where we would just spend time in the New Testament only. And, and I don't know if you've had a similar um, church background or church experience where, you know, you go week after week after week after week and you, you spend a lot of time in the epistles. You spend a lot of time in the gospels and, and all, all of that's great. I, I, I don't want you to mishear me, but there's so much depth in, in where we've been studying and what we've been looking at. And so um, I, I've just, it's been it's just been so sweet to me personally, individually, um, going through and studying this. So uh, I, I hope it's been a blessing to you as well. Um, Jacob read to us tonight from uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 19 through chapter 17, verse 14. Um, and as we, as we get started, Matt, throw that timeline up there if you have it, um, of, of Leviticus. And so because this week, this, uh, this week's Torah portion actually brings us to the end of the book of, of Leviticus. And so uh, then we'll, we'll run right into numbers from there. Uh, but I found this, and I found this useful just as we kind of go back and think of over the last few weeks where we've come from through this process um, and then to kind of dig in this week. So we started with, uh, with God, with Yahuwah, as we know his name to be. And so again, we look through the scripture and read, depending on the translation that you have, uh, it may be translated Lord in all caps. We know that to be the name of God, not just a title of a Lord, but the one true living God. His name is Yahovah. And so, uh, so we know that to be from the time that we spent in studying. So, um, so as we start with Yahovah instructs Moses about the offering, and then Moses uh, consecrates Aaron and his sons to be priests, and Aaron makes his first sacrifice as the high priest, God and um, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, are killed. If you remember that story from a few weeks ago, God instructs Moses and Aaron about priestly duties. Then an, uh, an Israelite is stoned for blasphemy. Oh, I'm sorry, we dropped in here. Um, God instructs Moses about the Day of Atonement and holiness. We're going to talk about that some today as well. And then an Israelite is stoned for blasphemy. You remember what the term blasphemy means? Do you all remember that as we studied that? Do you remember what blasphemy means? 
It's, it's to make, make common. So the things that we do to make common his name. So that's why his name is really, really important. So when we do things that just kind of make it commonplace in, in our conversation and the things that we do, uh, so we think blasphemy to be this, this, this awful sin, and, and, and it is, but the reality is that the things that we do that make his name common, that's blasphemy. So, uh, so we, then um, God continues to instruct Moses about holiness, and then God instructs Moses about vows and ties. And so that's kind of where we get to tonight as we go into uh, Leviticus chapter 25. So um, I, I have a tendency to, to do this a lot in, in life, and I, I know that about myself, but um, I have a tendency to draw a lot of things to analogies about, um, about sports. It's what I've done for the majority of my life, and I'm, I'm, I'm a coach as well as the other things that, that I do for the school district, and, and then, um, and so a lot of things come back to analogies, and, and there's an analogy that, uh, or there, there's a, there's something that's known really across every sport that I've played, that I've coached, that I've been involved with, and it's this idea of rhythm. So if, if you're, uh, if you're a athlete or maybe you're a former athlete like myself my shoulder would tell you that it's the correct term is former athlete because there's not much in the canon anymore um but there's this there's this idea of rhythm and it happens in every sport that you can name uh you'll see um quarterbacks in the nfl if you if you watch football you'll see quarterbacks that find a rhythm and and they'll get in a rhythm and that might carry them through the playoffs into the Super Bowl. They might get on this great run, and they get in this rhythm. Happens in basketball. The, the NBA uh, playoffs are going on right now, and, and you'll hear players talk about being in, in a zone, or they get in a rhythm. And when you get in that rhythm, things just happen. They, they just happen for you. Uh, I coach track and cross country, and, and it's the same thing there. You can, you can get going, and once you get in a rhythm, things happen easier for you. Um, we've got some young baseball players up here. Rhythm is so important in, in everything that you do, but particularly because that's what I did. I played baseball through college, and particularly when you're, when you're hitting, when you're in the batter's box, when you have good rhythm in what you're doing, your timing is good, and everything just comes together the right way. What we know about um, the way Yahovah, our God, the way he designed the world, he designed it in a rhythm. There was a particular rhythm about creation, about the way he did things. And, and what he told us is if you'll find yourself in this, in this rhythm, if you'll follow the rhythm that I've laid out, this is the way life works best. It, it's just the reality of things. And, and the way that he designed that, in the way he created literally everything that you see around you, was that you work really, really hard for six days. And then what do you do? Yes. I love rest, don't you? There's something very freeing about rest. 
But you know, you were designed for that. And, and even, even today, tonight, like we're here on Sabbath, that this is the day. He, he, he put this in place for a reason. And he told us to set it apart, to make it a holy convocation. And that's, that's literally what we're doing here tonight. And a couple of months ago, it, we're a small congregation, so we're able to just kind of have a family meeting and, and just go, hey, what if, you know, we believe Saturday to be the Sabbath. What if we just decided that we were going to meet on Saturday instead of Sunday? And it has been a huge blessing in, in our lives. And, and I hope it has been for you. But do you realize that part of that is really just getting into the rhythm of the way that he created and designed things? Work six days and rest. Chase after things and rest and come back. And so that rhythm is really, really important. It's important in everything that we do in life, but when you start realizing that the reason that rhythm is so important is because it's the way he designed life to work. So what we're going to look at in the book of Leviticus today is, is specifically about that rhythm of things, the way he made it. And Miss Susan was talking about that number seven and now when it comes back around. So we're gonna look in Leviticus 25. We're gonna talk about that Sabbath year, first of all. And then we're gonna spend the bulk of our time tonight talking about Jubilee, which is honestly something as I talk to you about like how spending this time really studying Torah has allowed me to go back and reconnect and think about those, those Old Testament classes that I took in Bible college, you know? And, and so like, I don't even remember the last time I even thought about Jubilee, really and truly. Like, I, I vaguely remember, like, a question on a, an exam that I did at some point, like, 15 or so years ago. But the last time I really thought about Jubilee and the, the implications of Jubilee. So that's what we're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about tonight. This, this week, you may have seen, is another one of those double double portion weeks. Um, it's two different Torah portions that have been pinned together. So it's a ton of content. It's like 20, chapter 25 is, is 55 verses in and of itself. So I, we can't go verse by verse through the double portion this week or uh, we would be here all night long. So we're gonna kind of zero in on some things. Um, and then I, I definitely want to tie um, what we talk about with Jubilee back to Jesus. And we're we're going to make that connection tonight as well. So are we ready? All right, all right let's pray before we get in, into the text. So Father, thank you for your word and, and for giving us this opportunity, this holy convocation to come together uh, to shout praises to you, uh, to recognize you as the one who designed all of this stuff. Father, and I pray that you would help us to find that rhythm of life in the way that you designed it and to see that you, you put something in place and you said this is how life works and that if we would get into uh, your economy on that, that we would see uh, how you bless that and how you um, draw us back to yourself. So, Father, tonight we desperately need you to do supernatural work with our hearts because our hearts 
are um, above everything else, as Jeremiah said, can be wicked. So I, I pray that you would help us with our hearts and that you would align them with yours tonight and uh, as we study your scriptures together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. So um, we are going to get into, I'm going to pull my notes back up here real quick. Um, so we're going to get into Leviticus chapter 25. We're going to read through the first 24 verses together, um, and then we're going to make some connections with some other things in the, in the rest of that text as well. But I really want us to get a picture of what Jubilee, um, what Jubilee really looks like. So, um, so again, Leviticus chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. So I'm reading from uh, what you'll see up here is an ESV. I'm reading from the Tree of Life version. So as I read my text, it won't directly match up here. What's up here may not match what you have there. We just have some different translations, and that's fine. We're good with that. But I'm going to go from the Tree of Life tonight. So beginning of verse 1. Then Adonai said to Moses on Mount Sinai, Speak to Israel and tell them, When you come into the land which I gave you, then the land is to be, is to keep a Shabbat or a Sabbath to Adonai, to Yahovah. The land is what he said. The land is going to keep a Sabbath. The Sabbath being that seventh day, that time of rest. What he's saying from Mount Sinai to Moses is he's saying, what I need you to tell Israel is that my land is going to have Sabbath. That in and of itself could be a completely foreign concept outside of context of what we're dealing with here. How, do you, how does the land rest? How does, how does that actually happen? So, good. I'm, I'm glad we asked that, that question. Here we go. Um, verse three. For six years you may sow your field, and for six years you may prune your vineyard and gather in its fruit. But in the seventh year, there is to be a Sabbath, a Shabbat, a rest for the land, a Shabbat to Adonai. It's his Sabbath. Remember that. Like That part is also extremely significant. That, that Sabbath, that day that we, we can reflect in and go rest, rest, rest. But remember, it's his Sabbath. It's not your Sabbath. It's not my Sabbath. It's his Sabbath. And that's why it's holy. That's why it's set apart. It's not set apart just simply for you to rest. You need to. That's, that's what the command is. But it's not about you. It was never about you. And this is not about Israel. It's about him. It's his Sabbath. Um, lost my you are not to sow your field or prune your vineyards. You are not to reap what grows by itself during your harvest, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine. It is to be a year of Shabbat, rest for the land. Whatever the Shabbat of the land produces will be food for yourself, for your servants, for your maidservant, and for your hired workers, and for the outside dwellers among you, even for your livestock and for the animals that are in your land. All its increase will be enough food. Now, what Miss Susan said earlier is it's not just about like that seventh, that Sabbath, that being that time of rest. 
It's also about understanding and trusting that the things that you did for six days, or in this case, for six years, is enough to sustain you for the seventh. That requires faith. We, we talk about Torah, how, how people can take Torah and can make it something that's very legalistic. How people can take it and go, if you don't do it, God's sending you all to hell. Like, you know, you can take it and, and, and spin it. The reality is keeping Torah never saved anyone. I'll say it again. Keeping Torah never saved anyone. Putting your faith and trust in the one true living God that he is able to sustain and to give you life. To make it look different than anything else. Like all of this stuff is so, the word that we would use today is countercultural. It's an understanding of life working completely away from mainstream thinking. It, it's countercultural. It doesn't make sense that we would say for an entire year, we're going to have what we need to be sustained even though we don't work the land, when I know that we barely scrape by year in and year out for the six when we're working the land like a dog. Like, so intellectually you think, how does this work? I, I'm working the land, I'm doing everything I can to get things from my land to make sure that my family and the people who work for me and my livestock to make sure everybody has what they need and I'm telling you, because we all live in this world, there were times that those people said, I'm barely making it. And in fact, when I go get the harvest and I'll bring it in, I look at it and I go, I don't think there's enough in the harvest for us to make it through. So how in the world, if I take a year off from doing that, will it ever sustain us when we're not working it? Does that connect with anything else that you, that you might live in your current existence where we work at something and go, it doesn't make sense. I don't know how it works. But yet somehow he can, he, he can do things that like don't intellectually make sense sometimes. But do we trust him? Do we trust him enough to give that over to him? Um, verse 8. You are to count off seven Shabbatos of years. So there's going to be seven years now that you're going to count off. So we did like every seventh year, you take the Sabbath rest. But now we're going to roll this out even further. Seven times seven years. So that the time is seven Sabbaths of years, 49 years. So we went seven times seven and we went out to 49 years now. We're doing math tonight. Always make me very uncomfortable when I get up here in front of you and start doing math. I've confessed that to you before. 
The only thing that makes me more uncomfortable is when I get up here and start doing grammar because I'm from East Texas and it doesn't always translate properly. You can't do that rule where, well, did it sound right? That, that doesn't work when you're from deep East Texas. So grammar I struggle with, math I struggle with, and we're going to do some of both of those tonight. Okay, um, verse 9. Then on the 10th day of the seventh month on, what is that? The 10th day of the seventh month. You remember we've talked about this. Where are we at? If we're on the 10th day of the seventh month, do you know? Big time holiday that we celebrate in the fall. It's one of the fall celebrations, one of the fall feasts. What did you say? Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. Does anybody know what Yom Kippur translates? Do you remember that? It's the Day of Atonement. That's really, really significant in this. So now we've rolled forward to to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, okay? You are to sound a shofar blast. I saw somebody have their shofar here tonight. I saw one come in. Did you bring me? So it's Yom Kippur. You're going to sound the shofar blast. You are to sound the shofar all throughout your land. You are to make the 50th year holy and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It is to be a jubilee to you. When each of you is to return to his own property and each of you is to return to his family, that 50th year will be your jubilee. You are not to show, to sow or reap that which grows by itself or gather from the untended vines. Since it's a jubilee, it's to be holy to you. You will eat from its increase out of the field. So it's saying, you're not going to sow, you're not going to reap, you're not going to attend to the vines, but there will be things that come out of the increase, and you're going to live off of that. 13, in this year of Jubilee, each of you will return to his property. If you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you are not to wrong, you are not to wrong one another. Corresponding to the number of years after the Jubilee, you are to purchase land from your neighbor's hand. He is to sell it to you based on the number of years of crops. In proportion to the extent of years, you may increase its price or decrease its price in proportion to the fewness of years because it is selling a number of harvests to you. You are not to cheat one another, but fear your God, for I am Adonai, your God. All right. When I've been studying through the Torah as we've been walking through this, every time I see that, I underline it. I mark that. Over and over and over, especially here through the book of Leviticus, he will make a statement. He will say, I am Yahovah. I am your God. So it's like putting a it's like putting his stamp of approval on the statement that he just made. Now, if we went back and reread that that I just read, it probably wouldn't make sense the second time we read it either. So if you were like following along, you're like, "What? I don't know." But what he was saying was basically, 
if you sold a piece of land because you, for whatever reason, you needed to get, you had land, it's family land, you needed to make a profit, you needed to do something, you had unexpected medical bills, whatever the case may be, you had to sell a piece of your land. What happens then on the year of Jubilee is that you're going to get that land back because that debt that, you, that that person has is forgiven. Therefore, you get your property back. Does that make sense? That's what all of those words were that we just kind of read through. Verse 18, therefore, you are to keep my statutes and observe my ordinance and carry them out so that you may live securely in the land. Then the land will yield its fruit and you may eat your fill and live there in safety. Now, if you ask, what are we to eat during the seventh year? If, see, we are not to sow nor gather in our increase. Nor, no, now I will command my blessing to you in the sixth year so that it will yield a harvest sufficient for three years. Did you see that? Did you see what just happened? He said, so you're going to say to me then, how am I going to eat during that seventh year if I'm not going to be sowing or harvesting anything? So what I'm going to tell you is that when you harvest the sixth year, it's going to be like three years of harvest. Those are the kind of things that only a a truly loving, caring, intimately connected to us type of God can and will do. I've said this so many times and I will always beat this drum. There are things that he does in our lives that are completely supernatural. There's no other explanation for some of the things that we've experienced in life. Like, you know yourself really, really well. Well, he knows you better than you know yourself. And he still loves you in spite of that. That's supernatural. The fact that you have the ability to put your trust in him to sustain you for that seventh year is supernatural. And we've talked about this because the definition of faith that's given to us in the book of Hebrews is something only someone can do in you because logically and intellectually it doesn't make sense to say that we can be sure of something that we hope for. Doesn't make sense to be convicted, which means you'd be willing to die for something that you've never seen. That's what the, defi- the biblical definition of faith is. Therefore, my only conclusion that I can bring to that is it's something he does in you. So to trust him at the level that you would say, I'm gonna work my land for these six years and know that that seventh year we're going to be good. We're going to be taken care of. 
we're going to be fine. And I'm telling you that I could use a Sabbath year. <laughs> like at, at any given time, like I'm ready for it. And I'd be willing to work like a dog for six if you give me the seventh one off. I'm, I'm all in on that one. Okay, look at this now. When you sow the eighth year, verse 22 is where I'm now. When you sow during the eighth year, you will still be eating the old stored harvest until the harvest of the ninth year comes. So that's just kind of a carryover to what he said before when he said when you harvest the six years, it's going to be three years worth. Meaning when you take the year off, you harvest again the eighth year. Guess what? The other stuff you had, you'll still be eating through the ninth year. Have you done, do we have finance people in here? Like that idea of compounding interest kind of? Okay, so what he, now, now keep carrying it forward. Like, so you had, you got three years worth out of the sixth year. You took a year off, but then you started harvesting again the eighth year. Then in the ninth year, you were still, so you see how it just keeps carrying forward? So now roll forward to the 49th year. And he said, how good has my land been to you? Okay, now look at what it says here. Verse 23. Moreover, the land is not to be sold permanently because what? It's his land. The land is not to be sold permanently because it's not your land. It's his. All right, 24, and then I need, to, I need to park for a minute. For any, any land you possess, you are to provide for redemption of the land. So, I need to part for just a second because like when I read this and I, and I started rolling out that idea of Jubilee that if the land was so good to you the sixth year that you took the seventh off and you were good, but not just for the seventh year, but for the eighth and the ninth, but then on the eighth year, you started harvesting again. So that excess that you have continues to roll forward and it and so then that happens again the 14th year because in the 15th year, what happened again in the 15th year? You got three years worth again. So then when you go to the 21st year, what happened in the 20th year? You got three years worth again. So you'll start seeing that as that rolls down the line that you're gonna come to a time when the sixth year, the sixth years that you're, that you're harvesting that you're, you're sowing and that you're reaping, you already had enough in your storehouse to take care of you during that time. Guess what you have the ability to do? To be generous. To open up the storehouse. See, what happens to us is we forget because we don't, we don't think this applies to us because we've been told that, right? We've been told that you're under the grace because Jesus came, that he paid the penalty 
for, for the transgressions against the law, which is true. But we've been led to believe that because he paid the penalty for the transgression against the law, that we don't need to know what the law says. But listen, imagine how life might be different in these United States of America if we, understand, if we understood this principle. That if you understood that if you worked at what you were doing and you got in the rhythm in which he designed the world and you trusted that what you did on the sixth day was going to be enough to sustain you for the seventh. And guess what? What you did in the sixth was not only enough to sustain you in the seventh, but also the eighth and the ninth. But you went back to work on the eighth and the ninth. So you keep working and all of these things that he gives you, he's not giving you to terminate on yourself. But that you might live your life in such a way that you open up your storehouses and you live in a generous place to where those who are around you catch the grace of your great God because of the things he's done for you and then you have the ability to give them to other people. It's tangible evidence of his grace in your life. But we don't think this principle applies to us. So we just don't know it. We don't, we don't understand it, so we can't live by it because we didn't even know it was there. And the, the moment that you take the things that God gave you and you close your fists around them, that thing then became an idol to you. Do you realize that? That became your God. It took up residence on the throne of your heart where only he's supposed to be. The moment we close our fist around and say, this is mine because I worked really, really hard for it. And you can't have any of it. Okay, so then look at the first part of chapter 26 because at first glance, and we, I'm not going to plow all the way through 55 verses here, but you need to. You need all of that stuff, but I want you to go to the beginning of chapter 26, and it seems like it's just kind of stuck in here really randomly, but he says this very thing. You are not to make idols of what? Yourselves. What happened when Moses went up on the, mount, on the mountain? Do you remember what they did? They made idols. They took all of the gold that they had in the camp, they melted it down, and they made a stinking cow out of it. You're like, well, I guess this can be our God now. But that's not what he says here. Did you notice that? What he said here was, you are not to make idols of yourselves. That's what we do. It's about my job, my income, my house, my car, my wife, my kids, whatever. Fill in the blank. I've made gods of all of them at different times. And I love my wife and I love both of those stinking boys over there. But guess what? All of them make lousy gods. And that's, like I'm not trying to offend them, but that's not what they were designed to be. That's not who they are. 
That's not why God created them. My job makes a terrible God. My car is a 2011 Honda Accord. And it makes a terrible God. Gets really good gas mileage. And it's a terrible God. And what he said here is, don't make idols of yourselves. That land that you walk out and admire, you look at your vineyards, you look at all the hired people that you have out there working them, you go, look at what I've done. I did this. And he said, that's not your land. And if you take note of how good I've been to you through that land, Every 50 years, return it to who it belongs to. Uh-oh. So Miss Susan was telling the kids, like, have you ever had anybody that owed you anything? People immediately start pointing fingers. Yeah! What, what would happen if you went to the person that owed you something and said, we're good? Don't worry about it. We're good. And sidebar, I've been, uh, like the audio book that I'm in right now is um, listening to a Dave Ramsey book and I listened to his podcast and stuff like that. And, you know, I was listening to somebody asking the question about, about loaning money to friends or family and he's like, don't, don't do it. <laughs> Like, just don't do it. It's not like, no, never, ever. But do you have people around you that have needs? Does it break your heart when those people have to humble themselves to the point where they have to actually come and ask for help? So already not to help them? Yeah. Okay, give it to them. Give it to them. Expecting absolutely nothing in return. Bless them. Has God been good to you? Yes. Give it away. It's not yours. None of it, none of it's yours. If we take the principle of Leviticus 25, 23, where he says, the land is mine. If we took that principle and applied it to our own lives, if we can, it's called contextualizing. If we contextualize that concept into 2018, Royce City, Texas, or wherever it is that you find yourself any given day, we say, guess what? That house, that car, that setup that you have, none of it belongs to you. And the moment that you close your hands around it, that became your God. And I also told you, don't make idols of yourself. So what else do you got? Okay. Um, you are not to make idols for yourself, nor raise up an engraved image or a standing stone or place any carved stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am Adonai, your God. I am Yahovah. I put my stamp on it again. Don't do it. 
You are to keep my Sabbath and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am Yahuwah. I am the one true living God. Put my stamp on it again. I want to do this portion right here, this next little piece down to verse 13. And then I want to, I want to bring it back to Jesus if we can. Y'all good with that? Okay. There, there is incredible stuff in the rest of this stuff. And I also want to make a note that we don't like to make a practice of like skipping chunks of scripture. But I also want to be mindful of time and things like that. But I also want to make a note that I'm a, I am not even going to get into the text that talks about tithing. So write that down somewhere also because right here in 27, he starts talking about the things that you bring in that you give a portion of that stuff away. So I do want to encourage you, make sure that you go through and read the rest of that. But let's get in 26, beginning in verse three, 26, three. If you walk in my statutes, now hold on to this stuff, okay? If you walk in my statutes, keep my commandments and carry them out, then I will give you rain in their seasons. Why is that important? What are we, yeah, back in the context of scripture, what are we talking about? What the land produces to take care of you and not just today, but also moving forward. So if you keep my statutes, you keep my commandments, I'm going to give rain when the rain is supposed to fall. I'm going to do that for you. The land will yield its crops. The trees of the field will yield their fruit. Your threshing will last until grape gathering. The grape gathering will last until the sowing time. You will eat your bread to the full and live securely in the land. I will bring shalom on your land. I will bring peace on your land. And you will lie down with no one making you afraid. I will remove dangerous beasts from the land and no sword will pass through your land. You will chase your enemies and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred will chase 10,000 and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I'm going to take care of you is what he's saying. Get in my system, put life back in order the way it's supposed to be and allow me to take care of you. This is, this is the definition of living by faith. Okay, verse nine. I will turn towards you, make you fruitful and multiply you. I will confirm my covenant with you. You will eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul will not abhor you. I will walk among you and will be your God and you will be my people. I am Yahovah, your God, who brought you forth out of the land of Egypt so that you would not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk upright. This whole thing about Jubilee was to remind them the reason. Okay, so one of the things that would happen often during this time, people would find themselves in hard times just like we have today. So a person might find themselves in that situation, go to someone they know 
and they would sell themselves into slavery. That's what the scriptures say. They would sell themselves into a servitude position with someone else. I can't take care of my stuff. I'm gonna, I'm gonna become indebted to you so that you can help me take care of my stuff. That's what it is. That's what would happen. And there are very explicit rules on how you take care of people who did that. What Jubilee was about was making sure that those people understood that they are just as valued in this kingdom as everybody else. And when Jubilee rolled around, that debt that they had, they had sold themselves into was canceled. It did not matter if you entered into this servant relationship with somebody 10 years ago or 10 months ago. Jubilee rolled around and all debts were canceled. And what he said was, I want you to remember that you were once in slavery and I brought you out of it. And that I broke the yoke that you carried, I destroyed it to where you wouldn't have to carry that anymore. Turn to Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four, starting in verse 14. It says this. Yeshua returned in the power of the Spirit to the Galilee, and news about him went out through all of the surrounding regions. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone was praising him. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been raised. As was his custom, he went into the synagogue on Shabbat. On the Sabbath, he went into the synagogue. And he got up to read. When the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of Yahovah is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Okay, think about all the things we just talked about about Jubilee. He, he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And look at this, and to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of Adonai's favor. What is the year of Adonai's favor? Jubilee. Jesus got up in the synagogue read from the prophet of Isaiah about Jubilee of which he is the fulfillment of. I was anointed to come preach good news to the poor, to set captives free. He closed the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. I, 
I think of all the things I've read in Scripture, I wanted to be in this moment. To be in the audience at the synagogue on this particular Sabbath when Yeshua the Messiah stood up, read this, handed it back, and just sat down. And in that moment, every eye was on him. Then he began to tell them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. I don't think we understand the gravity of what he said. He proclaimed himself to be the promised Messiah at this time making him public enemy number one of the religious leaders. He stood up, read the prophecy of Isaiah that's talking about Jubilee, that he's the fulfillment. I'm setting the captives free. if we don't take the time to understand what's in the first two-thirds of the Bible, like I'm not talking about a small portion, I'm talking about the front two-thirds of the book. We don't understand the significance and the implication of something like Jubilee that seems almost obscurely placed in the book of Leviticus. But it's talked about over and over throughout the Old Testament and then Jesus speaks specifically about it when he's in the synagogue on the Sabbath. All of those things are pointing towards Jesus. And and we we like the part where it says, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. But he created the world in such a way that that's actually built into life. If we just if we would just slow down and look for it. He, he designed things that way. And, and the same way that that thing about rhythm applies across almost everything that you, that you do, that's the way he created the universe to work. And I am not telling you every seventh year to take the year off. I hope that you have things set up to where you could. That'd be awesome. (coughs) But what do we learn from that? What, What is he telling us? Well, why don't we start by taking a day, a week, one day each week, To just just be his. 
It's not your Sabbath. It's not my Sabbath. It's his Sabbath. And he put it in place for a reason. You go all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2. As the master maker is creating everything, and he would look at it and say, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, let's rest. There's a reason for that. There's, there's a purpose in that. And then when you roll that into things like a jubilee year, to where the land takes care of you because you've worked it. And then you honor Yahuwah, the one true living God. You honor him by resting. And when you do that, then the, the compounding interest that comes from that, the, the things that come out from that. And then we look back at it and we go, that stuff's not mine anyway. That land's not mine. That's not mine. Of course I'll give you what I have. Of, of course if you have a need, I'll help you with that. Of course. Because I've realized over the course of time and in, 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 in trying to live this out that there's no possible way that you could ever outgive the God who made all the things that people seem to want. You can't outgive him. If he needed stuff, he would make the stuff he needed. That's not what this is about. It's, it's about obedience. It's about understanding your position in his kingdom and being obedient to the things that he asks us to do and then when we do that, we realize that that's, that's the reason he put it in place. So that we could see him and ultimately that we could see Jesus through it. And there's going to be things that you may decide to do with your life that people look at and go, what in the world are you doing with your life? What do you mean you rest on Saturday? That's a money-making day. Okay. I'll make three times as much on Friday. And then I'll, then I'll start back after Saturday and I'll work at it again. And by Friday, I'll probably make three times what I normally do anyway so I can take the next Saturday off. I realize that things don't always work that way. But what if instead of trying to figure out if it worked with our 401k or our mutual funds or the 403b that we set up or what if instead of trying to figure out if we've got that structured correctly, we trusted God and we, we lived generously with open hands. If you need it and I have it, it's yours. Because I trust God. said the guy with a house and two cars and a 403B and retirement. I get it. I know. It doesn't mean that I'm not convicted by the way I live a lot. How much do we trust God? How much? 
We say it, and then we structure life for every potential disaster that could come. But I trust God. Do we? I'm guilty. I know. This is not preaching to the choir. It's preaching to the preacher. I know. This this text about the Jubilee, I don't remember this from Bible college. I don't remember the, the depth of understanding why he put it into place. I don't remember Jesus being the fulfillment of it. 